Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and Alex is back from COVID. Alex, how are you feeling, my friend? Feeling quite good. Uh, I've, I've beat the virus, so I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to be back, happy to be free, and uh, enjoying myself. I'm happy to hear that, and I'm happy to have you back fully healthy to do this. Rahul, you've avoided the virus, so I'm happy to hear that as well. How are things on your end? They're pretty good. It's been uh, a good international break, winter break, whatever you want to call it, but uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, it has been a good winter break, and maybe we'll kick off with a little bit of light discussion here. I think Callum Hudson-Odoi has <laughs> released his first music video, hasn't he? He has. He spent a week in Ghana, and I guess he's he's getting his backup career going in in music. <laughs> uh, but no, it was it was it was a fun video. Yeah, I think it's something where he has a little bit of time. He can enjoy himself, and hopefully, look, I think they come back with a little more morale, a little more excitement, and they're good to go. But let's jump into what you called international break or winter break. What do we want to start with? Yeah. So I mean, we you know we've had the international break some players were playing some were just on vacation so focusing on on the guys that played specifically Pulisic with the U.S. men's national team um, they played three games which seems like a, a busy period and a busy schedule to have especially uh, in, at this time of the year but three crucial games for them so I will let Alex run through uh, those three games and the results and then we can discuss a few points here so Alex I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so uh, the U.S. men's national team has been trying to qualify for uh, the Qatar World Cup, and that's there have been some ups and downs in the road. Uh, this this window, uh, things started off with a one nil win versus El Salvador. Um, wasn't maybe the most convincing performance, but the job got done. And then uh, the things took a bit of a hit uh, with a two nil loss to Canada. So. Uh, the U.S. went up to Canada uh, and in some pretty cold conditions and wasn't able to come away with it. Um, outclassed by a goalkeeper in sweatpants, as I as I know Rahul mentioned to me. Um, but that, that was a tough one to take. And you had a lot of people, a lot of people maybe rightfully questioning some of the coaching decisions that were made. Um, Pulisic had been struggling during that game. He had a pretty tough time versus El Salvador and looked a little better against Canada, but couldn't do much, uh, nor could most of our team. Um, but then just uh, tonight, um, the U.S. finally got back on track. Uh, I guess, really, the results haven't even been horrible. It's just been the performances that have left a lot to be desired. Um, but they came up with a, a good, solid 3-0 win versus Honduras. Um, McKenney scoring, Zimmerman scoring, and Polisic scoring off the bench, silencing some of the haters after his uh, recent run of, of shaky form, uh, one could say, for the national team. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a good sign. The, the U.S. is in a relatively good place as far as World Cup qualification goes. And currently, actually, Mexico is, is taking on Panama as we speak, um, Canada, it looks like, is is one nil up against El Salvador. So Canada is making a really good case for World Cup qualification. Um, but as things stand, depending on the Mexico-Panama result, we could be in for an interesting end to the qualification window. Uh, the top three teams from CONCACAF make it automatically, and the fourth enters a playoff uh, in order to get a spot to the World Cup. So currently, you have Canada atop the table, the U.S. in second, and Mexico in third. Um, Panama is in fourth, just one point behind Mexico, and the U.S. is only two points ahead of Mexico. Um, so Mexico-Panama tied at the moment. That means a lot could change depending on how this game goes. So it's going to come down maybe a little closer than we would have liked. Um, but as I've been saying from the beginning, I, I have full faith that the U.S. qualifies for the World Cup. My concern is about the group of players gelling, improving, and developing so that they're ready uh, for this and for future tournaments. Yeah, that's a good rundown, Alex. And, and you bring up some good points in, in that, you know, they got the result against El Salvador. They weren't at the best. They go to Canada, they lose, which leaves a lot to be desired. And then they win against Honduras, which is kind of a straightforward, you'd, you'd expect that. They would really have to try to lose that game. If, if um, But 
you mentioned top three qualified. They're currently sitting in second. Um, you said it's going to get tight, so it almost brings you back to the last time around. Uh, and I hate to bring it up, but we've got to touch on it is against Jamaica where they didn't make it. They lost that game and, and the next three games looking forward. Uh, one of them, I believe, is against Mexico. I, I'm going to pull up the schedule here real quick. Um, so it, it and Panama. So it, it leaves you basically in two finals coming up. Um, so do you I know you said you don't really think there's going to be issues, but if Mexico win tonight. Do you have concerns going into that March international break that, you know, qualification could come down or, or may not uh, be automatic and then you have to go into a playoff? I, I've to this point, I've still remained pretty confident just because I think uh, with the players having having felt the loss of uh, missing out on the World Cup in 2018, I think at least the players, if not the whole federation, have maybe adjusted their mindset a little bit. And I have confidence that they'll be able to pull out a result. Tonight's win was absolutely crucial. Um, but at this point, even if you're looking at um, a draw against Mexico, a draw against Panama, the U.S. luckily, um, thanks to getting three points tonight, is still in the driver's seat. So currently, I think we're in a pretty good position. But certainly you would, you would say it would be nice if some of these wins were a little more convincing, if some of the tactics were a little more convincing, um, if we could get a set lineup of players who perform consistently, we've been tinkering with that. Or I, Greg Bolt, Burhalter has been uh, tinkering with that quite a bit. So it remains to be seen. And there, there still are quite a few voices. I don't know whether it will be the majority or the minority. Um, certainly a very vocal segment of the fan base, um, makes it seem like the majority are not entirely happy with Greg Berhalter. A lot of calls for him to be uh, fired, regardless of whether or not we qualify. Um, but frankly, I just don't see that happening. Um, I think a lot of U.S. men's national team fans have kind of accepted that, you know, at a certain point, qualifying for the World Cup is going to seal his job in order right. to manage in the World Cup. So. I, I don't know. I'm, I try to stray away from those debates and focus more on the performances on the pitch, but there are certainly questions to be asked. Yeah. And that's a good segue. I was going to bring up Greg Berhalter. Uh, I even see Stephen A. Smith talking about him and you know, when he talks <laughs> about anybody that, that they're not in a good position. So uh, let's touch on just some quick facts about Greg Berhalter. He's the fastest U.S. manager to 20 wins. He most recently won the Nations League, I think the inaugural Nations League in, in this part of the, the world. He won the Gold Cup, if I'm not wrong, over the summer. So he has had some positive impact. Um, he obviously came in at a tough time. We just touched on when it was after uh, the U.S. failed to qualify. Um, Jackie, I'll bring you into this. Managers for international teams always going to be a tough job because you get these players for two weeks at a time and then they go away so criticizing them obviously that's part of the job but do you think it's a little bit unfair it is a little bit unfair I think it's hard to put your stamp on what you're trying to do with a with a nation not let alone a club trying to pick from a, a core group of players get them to play in the right position I mean we talk a lot about Pulisic over here and I'll use him as a good example for Chelsea, he's played right wing back, you know, left wing back, center forward. And so you're going to bring him into the national team and he's going to play another different position. Trying to figure all of that out is extremely difficult. But on the flip side, and I'm going to choose my words very, very cautiously here. The United States is a massive, massive, massive footballing country. They are up there in probably the top 20 in the world. And of course, they keep yo-yoing between top 10 and all that. And they can be higher I don't know much about Greg Berhalter, uh, little that I know about him, his CV, maybe for lack of a better word, isn't that of a Pep Guardiola, a Jose Mourinho. If you look at Italy, who went on to win the Euros, you see the CV of Roberto Mancini and what he has been and you know, achieved in his time before coming in. On the same you know, lines, you can talk about maybe Gareth Southgate and what his CV looks like. And I know Alex has stuff to say about Gareth that maybe he can chime in in a minute. It's just, does the U.S. want to find a more high-profile coach that could instill confidence? Because again, like you alluded to, if you're only there seeing these boys one month out of an entire year, you have to fire them up really, really quickly. Yeah, and, and you bring up a, a 
Point, which is a high profile coach. And, and Alex, we had that in, in Jurgen's Klinsman to a certain point. He was that big name. He was that ex player that had had a beautiful career. He was the guy that everyone thought would be the one to lead the US to greater things. He didn't do too bad, but he obviously didn't reach the heights that were expected. So, your thoughts on on having someone like a Greg, Greg Berhalter who's kind of been in and around the MLS and or versus having someone with a, a bigger name and maybe more of a global career? I think certainly it's there's something to be said for having a big name coach, having someone who's got great experience. Um, because to a certain point, what I've come to realize is that as you guys were alluding to, it's not always easy to, to make, you know, stamp your style on a team. The motivational factor, the the team spirit, um, the confidence is key as well. And that's somewhere where maybe despite my my admittedly harsh tactical uh, I, tactical criticisms of Gareth Southgate, where I, I think he quite literally predictably lost the Euro final through horrendous tactical decisions that I called at halftime, it must be said. Um, there is something to be said for having someone in there who can motivate the players because at a certain point, all these players, especially at a top nation, um, one like England, one like the U.S., where we've got emerging talents playing at some of the biggest teams in the world, there, there are going to be a lot of talented guys. They have the talent to win. The question is, can you put together a decent enough system to let them show that talent? And can you get them to go out and fight and really just work everything off to, to go out and get a result? So I think Burhalter is a, a little bit of a tough case because yes, he's the fastest coach to 20 wins. As you'd mentioned, he just came off winning us a double double trophy over our, our, our rivals, Mexico in the summer. Um, it's just a tough case. And you see a lot of times where you say, Oh, he didn't make the right subs. His tactics were a little off, but then he'll grind out a result. He's won us some trophies and the players do seem to, for the most part, be more than willing to go out there and, and sort of fight for him. So I've kind of tried to avoid picking sides because I can see, I can see how we would benefit from having a higher profile coach with a European pedigree, but at the same time, with how little time the national teams get to work together. Maybe this is a situation where you don't want to shake things up right in the heat of a big moment. Um, and maybe that's, that's where a lot of the criticism stem from that. Okay. He can get us through the qualifying cycle, but we want someone who is a truly top tier coach for these upcoming world cups um, for these big tournaments where we're trying to stamp our mark as a footballing nation. I think that's, that is where I see the valid criticism of, okay, he, he got us out of a crisis period. Is he the man to let this golden generation reach its full potential? Because we're seeing some incredible talents. I mean, Weston McKenney tonight, and for, I must say, the majority of this past season has been absurdly good. I mean, he's been Juventus's best player for a, a, some period now to the point that they basically took him off the transfer list. They were offering him around a little bit um, and then said, we can't sell this guy. He's been, he's been outperforming our entire team. Um, and then he comes into the U S camp and I've made quite a few jokes about him looking like prime Zidane, which are, I mean, only half joking at this point, <laughs> with the fact that he's putting up goal after goal, his play on the ball has been immense. His vision has improved. His dribbling has improved. He is looking at like, quite the complete package of a midfielder immensely well-rounded um and and that's and that's the beauty of it is that everyone was talking Polisic, Polisic. i'm myself just as much as everyone um but we've got incredible talent cropping up that's not just captain america um serginio dest has been in good form tim weah has been absolutely yeah. amazing lately um and then you're still looking at tyler adams who's improving every game who's putting in great shifts at the six you saw Anthony Robinson get a great goal, um, and he's been great on the left uh, on the left flank as a fullback for the U.S. men's national team. And then you even have the likes of Gio Reyna, who was absolutely top class, scoring goals versus Mexico in great form. Then he had an unfortunate injury, and he hasn't been fit uh, and available to play for us. But I mean, these are this is a talented crop of stars. So. I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I almost don't want to waste my energy uh, getting getting passionately uh, 
pro or anti Burhalter because at a certain point, I feel like the Federation is going to do what it's going to do. So all I can do is really hope that individually on a micro level, the correct decisions are made, the correct lineups are put out and the players perform because um, that's all you can really hope for game in game out. Uh, but I've got faith in this, this upcoming generation. I think, I think these guys have what it takes and I hope, I hope that now, as you mentioned, Stephen A. Smith getting into the Burhalter <laughs> criticism. I hope people start to be held accountable. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Greg at this moment has has done enough to say, you know, he shouldn't be fired right now. Maybe that's a hot take. But I hope that the next time he makes some big blunder, the next time he calls in a questionable roster, um, the next time he snubs some clear clear call ups who are in form. Uh, he's already showed a bit of a bias in that sense towards certain players who maybe aren't performing as well, but he likes. I hope people are there to hold him accountable because we can't afford to waste this crop of talent. Yeah, and I'll just chime in with one thing really quickly. I know it's it's a good discussion so far, but what Alex alluded to is the talent that's in this team, it almost alludes to that they need to be winning these games. And I think that's something where, while we're praising him, and, and we should, rightly so, getting to those you know fastest managers to get to those 20 points, I think the squad that he has today I'm not trying to be controversial here, but it's probably one of the best U.S. men's national squads we've seen in a long, long, long time, all at the same time coming through. And so that it begs to say that they should be winning those games. Now, a lot of them are under 25. And so you may need to find a manager that says, how can I groom these guys to not only get us to this World Cup, but consistently do it on the international stage? And that's some of the questions we have to look at over the next 18 months or so. Yeah, you guys bring up some excellent points, and and we're not we're in no position, like Alex is saying, to say what the decision should be on Greg Berhalter. Uh, all we can do is discuss and analyze and, and try to give our opinions on on what we think should be happening or or should be improving. Uh, and maybe he's the guy to take us through Qatar, and then when the World Cup is actually in this country, there is a change, and these guys, the players are older, they've experienced the World Cup, and now they're working under maybe a bigger name or, or someone that can take them to the next level. So uh, it's definitely an exciting time to be a U.S. men's national fan. And, and one of the players that you mentioned, I want to touch on him before we move on from uh, this, this topic is Pulisic. And, and I bring him up because he kind of has been in and out of the team, being played all over uh, different positions for Chelsea. He comes to the U.S. men's national team. And, and as you were saying, Alex, he's kind of like the, not kind of, he is the main star of the team. Uh, in these last three round games, he started two and, and made one appearance off the bench in which he scored. Um, what were your thoughts on him? You think the time on the bench for Chelsea affected maybe the first two games that he started in? Uh, and then once having those two games and maybe just having some minutes, he's come off the bench tonight and, and scored a goal and performed. Yeah, I think it was always going to be tough and everyone loves to jump on a player's back after a bad game or two, but he was played at left wing back. He was played at left wing very uh, occasionally. Then he was played at center forward. He was played at right wing, right wing back. We saw him at right back. We saw him at essentially center mid for Chelsea during one of our games, I think against, maybe that was the game against Chesterfield, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, he was essentially a center attacking mid. Um, I mean, if he puts in a shift at center back and at goalkeeper, he's played every position on the pitch for Tuchel at this point. So I think it's a little unfair to expect him to, to magically, magically jump into form on international duty when he's been thrown everywhere on the pitch, not gotten consistent minutes with Chelsea. Um, and, and, and players do get criticized rightfully so sometimes for being inconsistent um, because you can see brilliance one week and then the next week, it's as if none of that ever happened and you see nothing from them. And that's a, that's a pretty big criticism of attackers. We see at Chelsea as well with the likes of Hakim Ziyech, uh, Hudson Adoy, Romelu Lukaku, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, who can have a really hot game and then a really cold game back to back. Um, but at a certain point, you can't really blame inconsistency when none of these players are getting consistent runs in one position. And I saw people saying today, um, uh, a certain subsection of Chelsea fans uh, analyzing uh, Christian's U.S. men's national team performances saying, see, he scored off the bench. Um, he did nothing when he started, scored off the bench. He's clearly a better super sub than a starter. 
Um, but then you look at the last two times he started left wing for Chelsea. Chelsea versus Liverpool scored a goal. Chelsea versus Palace earlier in the season scored a goal. He's had two left wing starts for Chelsea this season um, in recent memory, recent-ish, because he hasn't been played there very much. Two goals in those two games. Honorable mention for a goal off the bench against Leicester, an assist, I think, against Chesterfield. Uh, but it was not – I mean, it's not a situation where you can judge a player who's a left winger based on his shifts as a false nine, as a right winger, as a right wing back, as a left wing back. You've just got to give these players time to shine. And for me, as the biased Pulisic fan I am, I'm looking at this and saying two left wing starts, two goals. Give him another left wing start. See if he scores. If he doesn't, maybe don't panic and throw him at wing back. Give him one more and say, you know what? It's actually okay if you occasionally have an off game because maybe that allows you to build some form, build some confidence. I think Pulisic needs to play more games at left wing for Chelsea. I don't think any Chelsea attacker as of right now has really stamped their mark on the team as a guaranteed starter. I think we've seen recent good form from Ziyech, but he plays best from the right. So for me, it's Ziyech needs a run of games on the right. He deserves it. He's shown that he deserves it. Pulisic, I think, personally should get a run of games on the left. Um, I don't even know what you do up top because <laughs> there are issues with every one of our players that we put there. They all, they all have very different skill sets. And yet it seems like every time we play either Timo or Kai or Lukaku, the game we play them in doesn't quite play to their skill set. So it's, it's a tough one. And, you know, that's the job of a coach though. That's, that's why these managers get paid the millions and millions that they do. Um, Cause it's their job to see how these, these players can work together. I, I just have to say, Pulisic left wing, two starts for Chelsea, two goals for Chelsea in his most recent appearances. So, um, you know, that's play him and the goals will come. I think, I think that's my message. I mean, that, and that's a strong message. And I think that's a message that he himself has kind of alluded to over this break where um, he said, I'm happy to be flexible and help the team. Although I do hope to play more in my natural position, which everyone's kind of blown out of proportion and, and said he wants to leave. He hates Chelsea. He doesn't like it. Um, Jackie, I'll bring you in before we move on from the, the U.S. topic. Um, Pulisic has to be the main guy for, for the country and for the nation. Uh, as Alex is saying, play him in the right position for Chelsea, and he ends up having the confidence in coming to perform for the U.S. Is that kind of your sentiment too, or do you see it differently? Look, look, I'll say it this way. I think there's no need to rate Pulisic's performance on goals only. I think for Chelsea, even when he's played at wing back, he's impressed me, guys. I mean, it doesn't mean he's contributing by goals or by assists, but the fact that a player that's naturally played this position for five years professionally, but even longer as a youngster, and can slot into right wing back, left wing back, and put in a shift, and not just a shift where I go, oh, that was abysmal. It was like, he did well. He did well for a guy that's a left wing talented player, and now putting a defensive shift. He's put in many tackles. He's tracking back. And so I'm looking at his performance as a whole and saying, he's still doing the job when called upon. Now, if he's upset and he wants to play that position, I completely understand that. I completely respect that. And that's definitely a conversation between him and Tuchel. And of course, any other manager he may play for, but I'm not going to judge him saying he needs to get a goal every single game. As long as he steps up when called upon, puts in a performance like he has at right wing back, like he has a left wing back, even when he plays false nine, he hustles. I think those are the things that I'm looking for is that he's giving his all. And as you play him in these positions, like Alex has alluded to, he will make one his own, whether that may right wing, left wing, center forward, false nine, it doesn't matter. If you give him a consistent run of games, the goals will come. But I can't say that he's not performing when he's been in these other positions. He has. It's just not his strengths. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to sum up this discussion is, is he's performing. I think the standards he set himself from Project Restart and, and some of the other periods in his Chelsea career sometimes go against him because you almost just expect him to perform right. and, and, and hit those levels every single time. For a player who's pretty young, it's not going to happen all the time, but there is a player talent in there. Uh, and coming back to Alex's point, play him in the positions where he can uh, impact games with goals and, and he will do that. So let's move on to the AFCON guys. The U S men's national team currently sits second. Things are looking pretty good. Fingers crossed that they make the, the, the world cup in Qatar later, later this year. 
but coming to the African Cup of Nations, we're down to the final three. I say three because Senegal knocked out Burkina Faso earlier today uh, and have made it to the final once again. Uh, Edward Mendy will be featuring in another final, uh, fourth one since joining Chelsea, uh, maybe overcounting here, maybe a third one. And they could potentially face Egypt or Cameroon, the home nation, depending on how that game goes tomorrow. Uh, Tiago Silva, another player who's been away with Brazil. I, I don't even know what to say about that man because Brazil are sitting top of their group. I'm pretty sure they've already qualified, but this guy keeps going to Brazil and performing and winning games and, and wanting to represent his country. So you just got to take your hat off for him. And, and the final two players that I'd like to touch on are Mason Mount and Jorginho, who've had uh, a fun week off in Miami and, and spending some time in the sun. So uh, they were all headed back to Chelsea, and um, that kind of wraps up the international break. But let's move on to club football now. And we did have a transfer window in January. For a while, it felt like not, not, nothing was happening. And then deadline day came around, and everything happened. So, Jackie, let's start with you. In our last episode, we spoke about Frank Lampard. You asked me, do you think he goes to Everton? I said no, similar to when I said Tuchel shouldn't be coming to Chelsea. Right. Fast forward three or four days, Frank Lampard is, is the manager for Everton. So your thoughts on him coming back into management at Everton uh, and then bringing along Donny van der Beek and Deli Ali with him? Yeah, you know, if I recall collect correctly, I think that I was in favor of this move because Frank Lampard, for me personally, is my all-time favorite football player. Even when he was at Chelsea, I know... It was a roller coaster up and down, but I thought he did a very, very, very solid job given the circumstances that were around us. Of course, the second season, you add a lot of high name talent, a lot of profile players that uh, can upset the balance. And things don't always go as planned, just like we've seen in December for Tuchel. But I think this could be a match made in heaven for me because a young manager, an English manager, lots of energy. He likes to bring youth through. He's done a lot of good things with loans in his time with Derby County. It's going to be a little bit of a different challenge this time around. With Derby County, there's not so much expectation, not so much pressure. If you make it up, amazing, brilliant, everything's going your way. With Chelsea, lots of pressure, but you're funded adequately. The talent of the squad is incredible. When you're coming to Everton, it's a whole different ballgame. They're coming off a very toxic atmosphere. And so trying to get some of these fans back to a normal situation is a big thing for us. And then secondly, they're sitting in, if I'm not mistaken, 16th in the league yeah I was, I was gonna bring that points. up yeah yeah so it's a tough tough situation because Norwich is in there with 16 points just three or four points behind them of course Newcastle is in the mix as well and it can get really really nasty really really quickly so there's going to be a different type of pressure but I think just on the first few days there Lampard is a confident man he's confident in his own abilities and I think for the Everton guys I'm thinking maybe some of the guys who've been there a long time Having a manager who's been there, done that, won trophies, having that winning mentality might help bring some life back into them. And the two players he's brought in, Rahul, Donny van de Beek, we know he's a talent. It's just trying to find the right manager that can unlock that talent. And Dele Alli, in, in my opinion, is a very good footballer, but is a gamble. But based on some of the numbers we're hearing, a free transfer until he makes X amount of appearances might be worth the gamble to get these attacking talents in and help them climb the ladder. Yeah, I mean, I, look, it's good to have him back in, in management and he's almost now going to make Everton, every Chelsea fan, second team because we're all going to be watching and seeing what he's doing. Um, Alex, Jackie mentions uh, Frank Lampard's glorious career, winning trophies, uh, doing pretty well as manager at Chelsea, but he goes into a situation that he's very not very familiar with in, in terms of a relegation battle. Uh, the players look at him, they see everything he's achieved as a player, but do you think if the co first couple of results don't go their way, they start doubting and seeing or thinking this guy isn't the person to drag us out of this situation and it turns pretty sour like we've seen with, with Everton in the past? I mean, that's certainly always a risk, and that's sort of the risk you assume when you hop into a club mid-season. And we saw, I mean, we saw Lampard successfully, obviously navigated Chelsea out of a bit of a crisis, but then dropped his level a little bit. 
due to some understandable factors, but also maybe some of his inexperience. I think here he's got a good experience with Chelsea under his belt. He's got some solid players. He's brought in a couple new signings. Um, I think he can hopefully do a job, but he has definitely put himself in a position where, you know, by nature of taking over a job from a team in a tough spot midseason, he has certainly put himself in a position where he'll be looked at with some scrutiny right from the start. Um, this isn't like an off-season rebuild. This is a team that needs results uh, midseason thrown into the Prem. Um, he's going to have some expectations to start, but I'm sure he knows that going in. Um, and it's not a situation where I would say he's going to be blindsided if, if there's some criticism thrown his way. I hope people are pretty patient with him and, and say, you know what, give him a few games, let him get a sense of his team, let him establish, establish a, a style of play. But overall, I think he knows what he's getting into and he will be looked at because of the circumstances with some, uh, prying eyes looking into every decision he's making and that's the nature of the job but I do have faith in him uh to to execute but I don't think he'll I don't think he'll be faced by that I think he handles pressure well we've seen that as a player and we've seen that as a manager he knows what he's getting into so best wishes and I I I do think he can I do think he can do it and if he doesn't I don't think he'll he'll take that too personally because he knows what he's doing hopping into a club that's in a tough period like this yeah, I mean, if he, if he doesn't, you almost think about that scenario and you think about Everton going down and, and that thing seems unthinkable. Uh, but then to have that happen on the Lampard's watch just, just scares me a little bit because he's still very early in his career and for something like that to happen, uh, I think would would have to negatively impact that. And we definitely don't hope that happens for him. We, we wish him the best, like we said on, on Instagram, we're 36 out of 38 games in the, in the league. We're going to be wishing everything happens right for him. Um, the only other point for him is he's got the right players. He's brought in a couple of good players, but he's taken a, a more experienced, you could say, backroom staff with him uh, to, to Everton. Now he's taken Joe Edwards from, from Chelsea, who was with him at, at the club when he was there. Uh, but one more name related to Chelsea is Paul Clement, who was there when Carlo Ancelotti and Jackie, I'm sure you'll remember him. Uh, he joins his backroom star- staff too. So is this Lampard, and, and we'll move on from, from Lampard right after this, is, is this Lampard saying there were some mistakes made with my coaching staff or, or I do need people that are a little more experienced and along the way uh, compared to me and giving me advice day-to-day versus me trying to be doing everything look i don't want to speculate too much about what it is but i think it's a mix of different things i think yes obviously you want to take good quality coaches that can help you be successful but also it may depend on who's available rahul he may have contacted jody morris for all you know and jody's not interested or wants to find a different position he may have contacted some other coaches but it really comes down to who's available but i always think if you surround yourself with strong strong coaches that can help, it's always going to be a blessing. And look, there are a couple of things that are going for him. If by some chance Everton do get relegated, I think a lot of the damage was already done before he got there. And so hopefully they're willing to stick with him to to bring them back up. But the other thing is Everton have a very decent squad. Jordan Pickford's up there as a goalkeeper and he's doing well. Mason Holgate, Michael Keane, Mina, uh, Ben Godfrey. You've got Deli Ali now, Alan, Fabian Delph. You've got a bunch of great strikers in Richarlison. The team is there. It's there to win games. And so hopefully just having a new manager will give them that jump start that they need to get those six, eight points to make that difference. And if he's got the right coaching staff with him, good. I think I can see him coming to Chelsea in the summertime and getting a couple of strategic loans to better <laughs> his team over the, over the next summer. But I wish him all the best as well. And we all wish him the best. And we'll be watching again with a very keen eye on how things go. Uh, on the blue side of Mersey uh, side. But let's move on to, I guess, Arsenal here. Alex is one of Alex's favorite clubs. And Alex, their club captain, Aubameyang, we've, we've known about the issues that he's had with Arteta, with being delayed and, and not showing up to training on time. This time around on deadline day, he shows up early in Barcelona for supposedly visiting family, but it's to join Barcelona. Uh, and Barcelona can't afford him. Arsenal say, we'll let you go for free. 
you can go sign a contract with Barcelona for whatever you want, and we'll just take you off our, our, our wage bill, three to four hundred thousand pounds saved. What did you make of this whole thing? Aubameyang, they're looking for a striker. They had him on their books on the final day of the, the transfer window. They say, you can go for free club captain. I mean, you, you sort of said it all. That's it's not big club behavior. That's, that's <laughs> all I can say. But it's, I mean, I don't think Aubameyang is at a point where that's a huge loss for Arsenal. He sort of... We saw the signed the ting memes, and as soon as Aubameyang <laughs> signed the ting, he immediately started putting on. I mean, I, I can't even think of a good player to compare him to to slander, but he, he just dropped his level. And I mean, we know he's a quality player. He's had some good years for Arsenal. He's carried them through some tough patches. He's punished Chelsea on several occasions, but this he's just not at a Premier League standard at the moment. I think as much as it's maybe a slightly embarrassing position for Arsenal to be in getting him off the wage books is not a bad move on their part because he's just not at a point where he's really consistently delivering for the team. Um, and I think Arsenal certainly need a new striker. Uh, I know they were, they were heavily, uh, heavily hoping for Vlahovic. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, who then went to Juventus, but they, they really are in need of a striker. Aubameyang, hasn't been cutting it and as much as that's a weird really weird situation to be put in especially for your club captain who you just gave a massive new contract um on performances he hasn't really been worth it since that contract signing so arsenal i think would do well to they you know as you said <laughs> ship him off and and find someone else hopefully who can put the ball in the net uh, but they need to replace him as soon as possible because you need an actual actual goal scorer there. Yeah, so Jackie, they they ship him off, like Alex has said, get him off the wage bill. Uh, with everything that's happened between him and Arsenal, he's had issues with Dortmund too, uh, disciplinary issues. Barcelona say, you can join us. We'll pay you 15, 20 grand a week, but you can join us, bring all your troubles with you. Uh, because we need a goal scorer. In fact, we need a 10th attacking player on our books. Uh, what do you make of Barcelona? We've heard from Alex's side on the Arsenal piece. What do you make of Barcelona uh, bringing in Aubameyang and, and adding him to their books? Sometimes I wonder about Barcelona's transfer strategy. I'm not fully able to grasp what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve. You know, you hear a lot of noise about they have to ask a player to reduce their salary so they can register another one. And you've got to sit back and think you had an incredible goal scorer in Lionel Messi himself. And you didn't think to ask other players to reduce their salary at that point in time. That's neither here nor there. I think ultimately at this point in time, they're trying to find a solution of how did they get the goals in the net? How do they find the right piece to their puzzle short term, whether that means Obama Yang is there for, now till the summer and then they figure out how to move him on or whether he's there for a couple of seasons and then Barcelona stabilize the books and then figure out how to buy the right player or, or nurture the young players that are coming through. I'm not sure, but it's just sitting here to see how are they managing their transfer policy and what are they trying to do long-term 10 attacking players. You, you saw they didn't want to renew Samuel and Titi's contract. They're having problems with Usman Dembele who, by the way, are younger players that could have been there for the next five, seven years. It's just a strange situation all around. And I don't mean any disrespect to Barcelona because they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. But you almost flip-flop and you look at the style of Real Madrid, who were able to sell off Cristiano Ronaldo and not renew Gareth Bale. And in the same vein, look at Modric and say, no, he is good enough to continue staying a couple of seasons. So you wonder how one's doing so well and the other is managing it very interestingly. Very interesting. He's putting it very kindly. Yeah. Um, but it's it's something that they think is going to get them out of out of trouble and in, back into the Champions League because ultimately that's where they want to be and that's where the revenue is. Um, you spoke about Dembele and and he was supposedly coming to Chelsea. Uh, the Barcelona president said there was an English club that he had an agreement with, didn't end up at Chelsea. Uh, Alex, did you? want Dembele coming this this time around in, in this part of the season or do you think it's better saved for the summer I I definitely would say 
he's a player I would happily take at Chelsea. I think his talent is clearly there. Um, he's obviously got a slightly problematic injury record, perhaps, but the fact that he'd be coming uh, for, well, especially if he come if he comes in the summer, he's uh, he's not taking a massive transfer fee from us. I think that's a good positive for the deal. Obviously, wages have to be considered, but for me, I, I think as you mentioned as well in the past, it's if Tuchel wants the player, I say back him and get him his player because we absolutely owe our coach some backing after what he's done for us. I think there, there was an interesting stat that Lampard has signed more players since <laughs> signing for Everton um, than Tuchel has signed on a permanent basis for Chelsea, which is just kind of funny because super Frank has been the coach for all of what, two days. Um, but I think he deserves backing. I think the fans know that. And I don't think we're really in a huge position to question him there especially when you see how good someone like Dembele can be on form. And it's all well and good to say, oh, he might get injured. Um, he, he might not come into good form. Maybe he's not fit for the Premier League. But those are all ifs and buts. And when you see a player of that quality who a coach of this quality wants, I say you go out and get him. So hopefully if Tuchel still does want him uh, come summertime, we go out and get that deal done. Uh, because I think he deserves backing and Dembele doesn't make any team weaker. Uh, he doesn't have to be a lock starter, but he certainly doesn't make any team weaker just to have him on the books. Fair enough. And and he would add a different dimension to that attack. And maybe he's, he's the piece that we're, we're missing. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And if he comes and if Tupo wants him, we'll welcome him. And if not, we'll, I'm sure we'll look at other options. Jackie, speaking of backing your manager, Daniel Levy, for the longest time, didn't seem like he was going to back his manager. Uh, but again, deadline day comes around and, and he makes moves happen. He ships out Deli Ali for free, like you mentioned, at least in the short term. And Dombele, the record signing back to Lyon. Uh, Giovanni Lo Celso ba- uh, back to Spain. Brian Gill that they just signed in the summer out on loan. And so is this Conte's influence with getting out players that he doesn't see as part of the squad or is this uh just not is this just more from a club saying well if you're not going to use them we don't want to pay them let's just send them out you've got to imagine that Conte has had some form of favor or some form of hey boss listen to me a little bit and at some point you've just got to look at Tottenham and see the struggles that they've had with managers and signing players and things like that that you may have to listen to Conte and say look He's not playing them. They're probably, I don't want to use this in the wrong term, but they're probably a rotten egg in the entire mix that is not going for the way that Conte plays. They don't have the right attitude. Dele Alli in, in particular, as well as in Dombele, has gone through four or five managers that have just kind of pushed them to the side at this point. And so you've got to imagine that it makes sense for all parties involved that move them on, Conte is happy, get them off the book salary-wise, make a little bit of money back. And okay, if you don't bring anybody in right now, give Conte till the summer, sit down and come up with a really solid strategy of what you're trying to bring in. So it, I think it's a little bit of everything that's coming into the play here. Yeah, and, and he's given him two players too that I guess he's familiar with, Conte's familiar with, and their director of football is familiar with, and Bentakur and Kulukit. I'm just Close gonna, enough. <laughs> yeah, um, the guy from uh, Juventus, he's a winger. So right. He's added two players that he knows and, and he thinks that can add more to the squad than, than the other guys that he sent out. So it's going to be interesting. And, and I'm sure in come the summertime, they, they're going to back him even more and, and get him the players that they need. Uh, one club towards the bottom, uh, kind of close to where we were with Everton. Newcastle have, have flexed that financial muscle. And Alex, they've spent over 100 million pounds, euros, whatever you want to call it, this just in January. Uh, and they've brought in some good players. They've added players from the Premier League. They've added players from abroad. Uh, do you think after all of this, they stay up or do they become the richest club in the championship? I don't know. I think there has to be some kind of contingency plan in place for if they do still go down, because even signing players is no guarantee that they're going to work together well, instantly fit into the team, instantly adapt. I think they've made some solid some solid purchases, but as, as we saw with, I, I believe it was Karen Trippier's debut getting knocked out of the cup. Uh, 
there's there's no sign signing a relatively big name does not mean anything in terms right. of well we're going to go out and win the next game we're going to go on a run of form and stay safe this season i think hopefully for newcastle's sake they've got some kind of clause in these players contracts and said you're sticking with us even if we go down because they could be in a very tough spot if they bring in some big names get relegated and then these players say i wasn't looking for a season in the championship um but i think presumably they've had the foresight to to make some kind of contingency plan there but i'm sure all focus will be on them staying up i don't know whether they can do that if i had to guess i would say maybe just sort of the excitement at the club around a clear statement of intent to compete um new ownership new players coming in uh, maybe that stems some competition, some some motivation for the players. Maybe they they squeak it out. So I would, if I had to flip a coin, I'd say my money's on them on them finding a way to stay up. But no one could be faulted for predicting that they're going down, and and hopefully they've planned for that because it's it's a very real possibility still. And and coming to that point of they've planned for that, I think none of these players have a relegation release clause clause in their contract so um they wouldn't lose money on them or lose them for a lower value than than you think jackie you think newcastle stay up i mean they have to right they they've backed eddie Howe. they've backed the new ownership have backed themselves and said we're going to add five six players here that can keep us in this league it's going to be extremely tough just looking at the table right now newcastle is sitting there with 15 points but they do have a game in hand over norwich you would think that's enough, but Rahul, Watford is sitting there with two games in hand and Burnley sitting there with four games in hand. So realistically, it doesn't mean much. And while we keep talking about they have to or they've made the investment, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if they get relegated, even though they've made the investment. They've made some very, very smart investments, almost to the point that should they get relegated, you would expect them to yo-yo them back up within 24 months. It's to the point where they've probably had these long-term discussions with some of these guys saying you're getting paid X amount of dollars or pounds, whatever the situation may be. Should we go down? You're going to retain that salary for you to work hard enough to bring us right back up. And I think that's really what they're looking at that in. And you've got to imagine people like Joe Willock who've come from Arsenal and they've paid a hefty sum for him. Kieran Trippier who came back from Atletico Madrid, Uh, Dan Byrne, who's a smart signing because from Premier League experience, Matt Target as a loan there's a lot of things that are coming in that say, hey, we've made the experience signing to, tra- to, to stay up. But then you look at the gentleman that they brought from Leon, who's Bruno Gumares, who Gumar, yeah. may not settle eventually in the Premier League in the first couple of seasons, but he's got that quality and talent to say, should we go down, you're going to help us to come right back up. And oh, by the way, you're 24, so you're staying with us a little bit longer to help us become successful in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting situation there and, and another one we'll keep a keen eye on because if they stay in the league, you almost know and expect them to spend heavily again in the summer. Uh, the $100 million they spent in January was combined more than they had spent under Mike Ashley in his 15, 16 years there. So already the, the ownership has shown that they're here to, to make waves through the league and, and, and they will continue to do that. Um, I'm going to skip over... Chelsea for a second. Let's just stick uh, to the uh, relegation battle here. Watford firing their manager, uh, Claudio Ranieri. They've now brought in Roy Hodgson, who's never been relegated. So they've done from their side what they could do, minus spending the $100 million like Newcastle to stay in the league. So it's like you said, Jackie, it's going to be an interesting relegation battle, and, and all these teams are doing their best to stay in the league and, and retain the revenue from the league. Um, so we'll we're in for an exciting end to the season with not only the, the top four race, but also the relegation battle. Uh, but let's come to our club. We've kind of held off from, from talking about them, but Chelsea came into this window linked with Eden Hazard, linked with Luca Digne, linked with bringing Emerson back, linked with Dembele at some point, uh, maybe even forgetting a couple of names. We end the, the transfer window with, I guess, our biggest who was keeping Anthony Barry in the coaching staff. But apart from that, we signed an 18-year-old Mason Burstow from Charlton, an 18-year-old striker that comes in and adds, I guess, to our, our academy for the future, maybe even is on the bench for a few games this season. But were you, dis- were you guys, and I'll start with you, Alex, disappointed with no signings coming in? 
no no signings for the first team i don't think personally i was actually incredibly disappointed maybe that's a function of of me not having had huge expectations going in chelsea don't tend to go out and, and surprise us by getting tons of amazing business done um, with a couple notable exceptions but i think it would have been nice to get, especially as, as we've all been talking about, some left wing back cover, maybe just to help Tuchel through this tough period. But at the same time, I think we talk so much about uh, some players who are maybe, maybe it's a little harsh, but, but people talk about players as having some dead wood in the squad sometimes when you, you have players who aren't, aren't bad but you just know they're not quite Chelsea quality. They're not at least going to get starts they're sitting on the books, they're taking high wages, but they're just not what the team needs. And I mean, no disrespect to some of the players who, who aren't consistently making the lineup. They're good. They could perform probably at another Premier League club, but they're just not what Tuchel needs. They're not necessarily really what the club needs. Um, and you do need a certain amount of depth, but we've got enough depth. So for me, I'm okay holding off on signings and waiting till we hit our number one targets because I just don't want to make the mistake of racking up mediocre players just because we had to fill a gap um just grabbing someone who's available if the players aren't available the players Tuka wants and the players the club thinks will be best i mean they've got i i would assume millions of dollars poured into analysis and stats and scouting and agents and everyone at chelsea who's who's behind making these decisions if all the people behind these decisions don't think the right players were available for the right price I'm, I'm happy with, with pushing those purchases off because the last thing I would want to see is us spend little bits of money here and there on things that Tuchel doesn't want and then not be in a position to back him financially or make that big money signing when the opportunity arises um, come the summer or next season. I think, I think that's the right move. And maybe it's something that'll draw the ire of some Chelsea fans when you say, oh, we've done nothing this window yet again. We're not backing our coach, but I would say the best backing we could give Tuchel would be giving him his actual number one targets. Uh, and if we're not doing that, I'm okay with us not signing anyone. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent way to put it. But Jackie, you're, uh, were you disappointed? Were you, were you expecting at least someone to come in and add to the first team squad? I wouldn't say the term is disappointed. I would say it's a little bit surprising, you know, to jump on what Alex has said, you talk about Tuchel's formation and his preferred lineup is really down to having solid wing backs. And the fact that Ben Chilwell is out for the rest of the season, we now see that Reese James is coming back, but it would have been nice to sign somebody who could play on either flank to help with that. A, a little bit surprised that we didn't go there to support him, but the Chelsea of 2003 would pay now, ask questions later. The Chelsea that has evolved into what we see today is understand the value of a player, understand the long-term plans, negotiate the best that you can, and then you're going to go ahead and pay these fees. And I think it worked better for us as a football club because Alex has touched on it brilliantly. We can't have a whole slew of guys sitting in the reserves. And unfortunately, Danny Drinkwater pops into my mind as a 30 million pound, which in today's market is not so much, but a big name guy that was doing everything for Leicester and now has been on our books for four or five years and really not done much with his career. And so we want to avoid those kind of situations. And I defer slightly on some of the things about backing a manager. I think in this day and age, Chelsea changes managers every 24 months. And so it's not just about backing the manager. It's about backing the manager provided it aligns with Chelsea's long-term transfer strategy, what, what they can do in 24 months, 36 months, if a manager is no longer here. In the case of Dembele, you might love him, but if Tuchel leaves in 24 months, can we do something with him? Is he the profile that we can give to another manager? And so not disappointed, but a little bit surprised on, on the fact that we didn't find a way to bring somebody in. But hopefully Tuchel turns to the reserves, turns to the bench. Uh, unfortunately, Pulisic may play a few more games at left wing back, but we've got to make it work with what we've gotten. And you said turn to, to the bench, turn to the academy. There is a player that we turned to and brought him back from his loan, which is Kennedy, the Brazilian, who's also on our books, if, if some, some fans have forgotten. Uh, and he didn't go out on loan. I, th I think we were expecting him to. He didn't. So he stays, and he is now another option that we have for Tupol to call upon. And, hey, we've seen with Chaloba, he was given an opportunity. He stepped up and has turned it into 
may a, a first team opportunity where he is selected pretty often could be similar for Kennedy who comes in and, and pushes Alonzo maybe pushes someone in the attacking side and says I can you know be that option that Tuchel needs to call upon so you never know what happens and and with Tuchel's man management and ability to motivate some of these players someone may st- step up and and save Chelsea the 30 or 40 million that we may have spent on on bringing in a backup so uh, I think all around, none of us are dis- disappointed. Jackie's a little bit surprised, but I think overall, we're all expecting for things to happen this summer, which is what we all want. So um, let's move on to talking about a game, and that is Chelsea in the fourth round in the FA Cup versus Plymouth at home before we jet off to Abu Dhabi. Uh, this will be the first meeting between Chelsea and Plymouth since February 1989. Uh, when we beat them 1-0 in the second tier. So it's been a long time. Uh, Plymouth last beat us over 42 years ago. So not only has it been the last time, a long time since we faced them, but it's been a very long time since they beat us. So uh, we're going to be heavy favorites coming into this game, and and, ex- and rightly so. I think uh, we're um, the home team. We're the stronger team. We made it to the final last year. So we should be doing everything that we can to win this. So I'll start with... Jackie, for a predicted 11 from your side, players have been away, but they've come back and, and been in training this week. So what do you think will happen? Yeah, I mean, we're going to go back with Kepa and goal. I think it might be nice to see Marcus Bentinelli out there, but Kepa needs to get his game going, and he's been in good form while he's been playing. So why not keep him going? At right wing or right center back, whatever you want to call it, Aspilicueta has been playing really well over there, so he'll continue I'll leave the central mid central center back position for a second so we can discuss that. But the left position could be covered by Malang Sar, who's been doing pretty well when called upon. Or maybe Lewis Hall might come back into the mix. I know he's typically a box-to-box midfielder, but Tuchel's used him on the left, and he did very, very well on his debut. So it might be worth it to call him back in. We'll come back again to the center back position, like I said, guys, because there's a little bit of a debate there. But right wing back, maybe Kalan Hudson-Doe may jump in there. And the middle will be Jorginho Kovacic. Marcus Alonso, I think with what we've discussed about wingbacks, maybe he will continue to play there. Uh, Mason Mount is getting a nice rest in Miami, so he should come back tanned and ready to score a goal. Timo Werner and Kai Havertz as well on holiday, but those two coming up and bringing the Germans back into the mix. So before we move on, the last position I want to talk about is that centre-back position. We could play, play Andreas Christensen there. We could also play Chalobo over there, who's been maybe a breakout star this season. The only reason I want to have a discussion with this, the last time I've heard Andreas Christensen's name spoken about at Chelsea, Chukul is alluding to the fact that he may not play him if he did not sign his contract. So I'll defer to you guys, Alex. Maybe you can chime in and see, will he play? Will Chukul just freeze him out till he signs the contract? Or will he move on and not play for us for the rest of the season? It's, that's always such a tough, tough situation because you don't want to give the players too much power you, you kind of want to uphold the law and make it clear that that if they're not going to commit to the team, you need players who are absolutely 100% focused on the club. Um, but at the same time, you need results and <laughs> you can't, you can't let the results on the pitch suffer because of uh, little backroom disagreements. And we saw, for example, with Rudiger during all these intense right. contract talks, um, things are going back and forth saying he's going to leave. He's going to stay. He's going to leave. He's going to stay. But Rudiger stayed on the pitch performed. We needed him. He was undroppable, frankly. Um, and he just performed week in week out, honestly, right up there with the peak that we've seen him uh, play for Chelsea. He was, he was passionate. He was scoring goals. He was um, just sort of putting in great defensive performances. It was really just vintage Antonio Rudiger and he still stayed focused and performed even during as we were seeing all these media headlines trying to stir up drama about whether he's signing or not or what the wage demands are. So I think I think Tuchel probably should just pick based on tactics and 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 who's best to win a game because at the end of the day I do think the players will go out and still try to perform to their very best ability because even if there's uncertainty over a contract, they'll want every little bit of leverage they can have uh, in, in saying, look, I'm crucial to the team. I've come in. So for our center backs, for any players who are not quite, don't quite have their futures locked down, 
for me, it's play them if they're the best option. Um, though luckily we do have good enough depth that as, as you guys have mentioned, we don't necessarily need to play every player who's having a little bit of a, a, a contract showdown, so to speak. So for me, it's use them though. If, if we need them, use them and we can't afford to, we got to swallow the pride a little bit maybe because this is a crucial period for Chelsea. Fair enough. Rahul, I'll turn it back to you then. Yeah, I agree. I, I would play Christensen too. He's the natural um, deputy for Thiago Silva and, and he's done well since he's come in. So I would play him and, and let the contract and the business side be figured out off the pitch. Uh, but if Tuchel drops him, I'll support that too. <laughs> um, so either way, in Tuchel, we trust is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but apart from that, I, I think the rest of the, the squad is good. And, and we do need to give some of the guys some minutes before we head off and, and go away to a different country, a different tournament. Um, so coming to the score predictions, and, and typically we, I should say I for myself, I'm, I'm pretty negative as i've been told i say we're going to concede so i'll start off and i say we we will go for a four nil win here uh it should be a straightforward game uh alex what do you think my bad i was muted there (laughs) i don't uh i i don't know i I never know where to go on these but i would say three nil maybe i'm being conservative now um but i think I think I, I won't complain. I just want goals and a clean sheet, and I think we can do that. I, I think so, too. So, Jackie, it's it's down to you. You've gotten most of your predictions right in January, so uh, maybe you can start off a new month with the, the spot-on prediction. I'm feeling confident, guys. We've got Mason Mountain, Miami getting some sun, <laughs> and we've got the Germans out in Dubai getting some sun. Rudiger went to Africa. Callum Hudson-Loy went to Africa. Some of the guys have gone to play. It's a different break from what we've gone through. I'm so confident I'm going for 6 nail. I think our German needs a couple of goals. Uh, Mount needs a couple of goals. So hopefully we can get that 6 nail and something to cheer about when it's an early, early kickoff on the weekend. It, it is actually very early, but a 6 nail would, would be the perfect way to start the weekend. Um, so we'll, I think we're predicting wins all around, comfortable wins. And, and uh, like I said, it should be one that if we don't win, will be a bigger surprise than than a 6-0 win. So fingers crossed and wishing the guys all the best. But there is just two more or, or two more teams for Chelsea that I wanted to touch on. The Chelsea youth, youth team uh, featured against Liverpool over this international break and were down 3-0 going into the 70th minute and turned it around in 1-4-3. So uh, the fight back spirit is running through pretty hard through the squad all the way through the kids and Lewis Hall did play in that game that's actually what reminded me of of this result so uh, congratulations to the young guys and someone said if this happens with the Carabao Cup it's going to be one of the best finals I say no because I my, my heart won't be able to handle a 4-3 win for us uh, but it would also be sweet to come back from a 3-0 down so uh, we'll see how that goes and then the Chelsea women guys they they've been away for a little bit they came back they've played a few games and they played a Conti Cup semi-final League Cup uh, as they call it in, in England and beat Manchester United 3-1 and have made the final for a third consecutive year and if they win it they would win it for a third consecutive year so awesome wishing them all the best they will either face Manchester City or Tottenham depending on how that game goes so they're back and, and firing and, and we wish them all the best they've uh, had a little bit of a rough time with COVID and, and uh, games being canceled, but they're they're back and doing what they do best. So before we wrap it up, guys, Alex, any parting thoughts? Um, club football's back. Yeah, I I don't think there's anything crazy. I just I just want wins. That's all I can say. Good taste in my mouth after the the U.S. victory tonight, and I'm hoping that carries back over to the club side because uh, Chelsea Chelsea could use to add some trophies to the cabinet this season. Absolutely. Jackie, any, any bold predictions, any trophies that you're predicting are coming to the bridge or staying at the bridge? Look, we might start looking at that world club cup in the second here, but you know, big shout out to the youth Rahul, like you said, that comeback is something you love to see. And the women happy to see them back to winning ways, but for Plymouth, I'll be up early. I'll be watching that game. And if it's six nil, you best believe I'll be sipping that kickoff coffee before we go in and celebrating. But you know, at the very least, like Alex said, goals galore is all I want to see. 
That's that's all we want to see. And I was going to just give a shout out to kickoff too. So that's that you've done that for me. Uh, my parting thought here is I couldn't get the name of the player for Tottenham right, so I'm going to try again. It's Kulusevsky, and I hopefully nailed that on, and, and hopefully I'm not going to be memed on the internet for not getting it. So, uh, But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram, and YouTube. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, please follow Alex uh, Alex as well. It's at FC 22 Twitter and Instagram. Uh, he's been trolling hard on Twitter. So go, go check it out. Uh, and as always, send us your feedback, send us your questions, send us your comments when we will be back with a new episode looking forward to the Club World Cup. So until then, stay safe and up the chills.